uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining uh, to this next episode of the Giro podcast. Uh, I'm joined by the lovely Rebecca Charlton. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. Um, our paths have crossed uh, uh, numerous times over the past few years, and I wanted to kind of get you in on the podcast just to kind of have a bit of chat, really, and kind of see, find out more about your story. Yeah, it's brilliant that you've asked, and I think it's a really good time that we're all connected and chatting, so it's actually really nice to have the time to do a bit more of this. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the last time that we kind of were, were hanging out together was at The World, at that fateful Belgian <laughs> Belgian bar, <laughs> they I, got a bit. They got a bit out of hand. I think we both had a few drinks that night. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Do you know the the best part about that night was we were chatting with Phil Phil Liggett, and uh, I said to him, you know, do you want another one? And obviously, this is really strong Belgian beer, and uh, he's like, yeah, sure. I said, would you want a half? He just looks at me and goes, I don't do halves, mate. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> all right. You, you, and that. Uh, that set the tone for the evening, didn't it? It was brilliant. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was only like a Tuesday night or something. It was pretty, um, pretty ferocious. Good we fun a, though. It was good fun, and we had a good excuse that week. So yeah. And how I mean, often do you hang out with Phil? So I know exactly. <laughs> um, so Re- Rebecca, very much in my and many other opinion, the the one of the prominent faces of the UK cycling scene. Uh, we see you on ITV, Eurosport. Uh, the six-day events, a number of other bike shows. You're an author, journalist, all these things. Um, I'd love to just kind of find out more, you know, kind of everyone's familiar with you, but maybe doesn't really, maybe not many people know your kind of story and how you got here. Because it's a, you know, so we're seeing the kind of the, you know, five, ten-year effects of what's been a huge boom in cycling. But you've been involved in cycling much longer than that. Um, and so I'd love to kind of just get your, well, initially, I mean, how did you get into it? How did you get into cycling to begin with and what kind of led you down the path of making a career out of it? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned there how long ago it was. And actually, it just wasn't cool when I started cycling at yeah. all. And um, my dad got me into it. My whole family cycled um, and he'd, he'd raced his whole life since he was a kid. Oh, really? And he ran my local track league, which was at Preston Park in Brighton, <clears throat> okay. where I grew up. And um, so I think, yeah, I think I did my first ever track race at about seven years old um, in the under nine category or whatever it was back then. Um, But it was a really interesting one because I was so young when I got into it that I I just absolutely loved racing. Obviously, I say racing, chasing a couple of other kids around. Um, Hey, that's racing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, still do that. A win's a win. Um, Let's just get that in early. And... um, you know, I, I just found this sport through my family that I absolutely adored. Um, but as I got a little bit older, and, and to be honest, not a lot older than that, mm. I started to realise that it wasn't a cool sport. And mm. I didn't really want to talk to my school friends about it or tell mm. people that I was wearing Lycra and mm. going on these, uh, you know, tracks with crazy bikes and crazy helmets and no yeah. one knew anything about it. Um yeah. And those were the days where, as you'll probably remember back a bit, where you'd talk about cycling and people go, oh, I like, like the Tour de France. And that was the mm. only reference point for people because, yeah. you know, there just wasn't the volume of coverage in this country. People didn't support it, people didn't watch it. And, you know, it was very different back then. Um, so I sort of started very young, loved the sport, got a little bit older, going through puberty and being really into my bike racing was quite, was quite difficult because, yeah. firstly, I didn't know any other girls that did it. 
Um, I'd very occasionally come up to London and race at Herne Hill or at Manchester mm. and there might be another a girl. Mm. But most of the time it was just racing the other young boys. So whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, so it was Brighton. Okay, fine. And Preston Park. So anyone... Have you heard of Preston Park? Vel- yeah. Velodrome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you'll yeah. know why I'm laughing when I say Velodrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's, well. it's like a mile round. Uh, no, yeah. it, what is it? So we used to have to walk... When we did 500-metre time trials, we had to walk to the 500-metre line. Amazing. So Which good. indicates how long that track is. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. just remember when I was learning about the sport and really getting into it, I just remember, I mean, the kind of conversations you have with your dad as a kid. And he's... Yeah basically doing all my mechanics and changing my gear for me. And I remember saying like, oh, I was just spinning out towards the finish line. And he was like, you know, that's a descent. <laughs> we, have to, <laughs> yeah. we have to change your gear to get up the hill on the back straight. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> so it was, yeah, again, that was interesting because fell in love with the sport. I thought Preston Park was it in, in the terms of a velodrome and then went to Herne Hill. Then Manchester Velodrome was built. And then you start realising, wow, actually, there's a whole world of track racing out there. Yeah, so and that, it was starting to become that, that norm, wasn't it? You know, kind of with that kind of the, the you know, the, the Olympic success starting with, you know, kind of Boardman back in the day. And then it slowly started to filter through and there was a programme around it and then kind of started to become a bit normal, dare I say it. Yeah. And that's what I love now when I look back. Mm. And I so proudly talk about cycling. Yeah. My friends ring me up when there's a Madison on TV yeah, wow. and go, oh, I've been really getting into this. Can you talk us through that? And, and, you know, these are my girlfriends that, you know, I grew up with, never yeah. really came to watch me race, never really yeah. got that involved, purely because they just, did, it wasn't a world that they'd been exposed to. And now they're, they're fans of the sport. They watch it, mm. they've all got bikes, they just love it. And, mm. you know, you, you can tell your friends to get into it. But I mm. think, as you say, it's just so far from where it was in terms mm. of the people that discover it and want to celebrate mm. it and enjoy it. So... What I do as a career now, and then looking back to the fact that I almost used to hide the fact that I was a racing cyclist a little bit, because, yeah. you know, you want to you want to fit in with your school friends, you want to be cool, no one yeah, knew about it. So I, I'm really proud that it's so different now and that people are really, really happy to shout about it. Yeah, absolutely. So talk us through those kind of steps to, you know, when you start to kind of forge a bit of a career sort of in this and, and how did it begin? Yeah, I think um, the first thing to say, it was a really long journey. It was a slow burner. And I think it's important to say that because I think when you see people in television, I think obviously this is perpetuated by the press a lot. There is that myth that you fall fall into TV. Someone comes up to you and says, your face fits, come on, like you're going to have a TV career. But for me, you know, I wanted to be a broadcaster for so long and I had to forge the path that worked for me. And a lot of um, incredible broadcast journalists say, find your niche, find what you know, and that you are so comfortable talking in, in great depth about. And for me, of course, that, that was cycling. Um, but I think the narrative a lot of people see is that I rode bikes and then I sort of fell into the journalistic side. But actually, I, I did a degree in journalism. And as I say, I'd always kind of had that passion for, for all sorts of journalism, really. At one point, I wanted to be a war correspondent. I was oh, cool. a massive fan of Kate Ady. I'd read all yeah, her books wow. and mm. really aspired to to go and do something, you know, that mattered and, and that mm. made a difference. But I think for me, um, I was more in the mainstream media when I graduated and, and it's, it's really, really tough out there. And so realising, actually, don't fight what you know. I, I know cycling, there's opportunities potentially and that's when I sort of 
married the two together, the the journalism degree and my, I guess, I had years in the sport already of cycling. And, and then I sort of found a few doors opened once I started saying, actually, this is what I want to do. Because when I first got into it, um, I guess my... My first role was at the publishers that um, that uh, were behind Road Cycling UK. Okay. And yeah. they also had a website at the time called SheCycles.com, which sadly only ran for a couple of years, really, and was sort of considered a little bit ahead of its time because okay. it ended up closing down and then that sort of female content got ro- rolled into Road Cycling UK. Um, but that's where I sort of started off in, in the cycling industry, really. Um, mm. And, yeah, I think, again, I'd kind of gone in on the female side, but actually mm. the guys on RCUK were like, you know your stuff, you can write, you're qualified yeah. as a writer, like, let's use you and let's mm. utilise this. And actually there's not many women doing it. I was going to say, I mean, is that... Was that quite a was that quite a uh, like a bit of an eye opening moment? I mean, you know, I, I had a um, I did a podcast earlier this week with uh, George from Jam Cycling, and we did one uh, last week with uh, a few of our uh, women from our women's race team. And something that I'm always quite keen to talk about in the fact that this has been such a male dominated sport, um, just purely down to the heritage of it and whilst it's great to kind of see um, a lot more doors opening now, um, you know, you were getting into it at, you know, early doors and the kind of the, the success and boom of cycling. And just by the fact that you're a female was, for most people, would have been against the grain. And I'm sure, well, I mean, maybe there were people that had an opposition to it, but I'm sure most people were welcome to it, but it was mm-hmm. against the grain. And did you find that that worked against you or did you find that it works in your favor and when this you know you, you know road cycling said actually you know don't just focus on the women's stuff there's you know you're good at what you do was that a bit of a was that some real wind in your sails to kind of mm. actually see actually I can achieve more certainly was and I was really really fortunate to have some brilliant mentors male and female yeah. mm. and I and I think that that was a really crucial point because you know you you graduate from university you think you know mm. a certain amount but actually when you get into the workplace it can mm. be really daunting especially as you say going into a very very male dominated industry mm. so I was fortunate that I had people saying do be confident you 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 have got a talent here you can mm. write as I say and and really really championing me and and it definitely definitely made me progress um undoubtedly because you do need that especially at that time um Mm. but I had a bit of both whilst I had brilliant mentors and they definitely definitely kick-started my cycling career or cycling journalism career um there were times that really stand out as quite difficult um Mm. so I would go off to the trade shows like Eurobike and things Mm. like that and people would say to me, um, what are you selling? You, you're, you clearly work in sales. And I would say over and over and over again, I, I'm leading the editorial team. Mm. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and they would just look blankly at me. And I, and that was, I think that was the biggest thing. The people within the, the journalistic industry were immensely mm. supportive. Mm. People that were perhaps on the on the broader side of the industry were sort of looking at me thinking, well, we haven't seen a female 
And, and I think as well, young female coming into it, they hadn't mm. seen somebody in that capacity. It hadn't been very visible. Yes, there yeah. were one or two, um, you know, who I was really fortunate enough to work with, which was Bex Hopkins and Hannah Reynolds. Mm. And it was brilliant to see them succeeding um, ahead of me. But um, I think aside from from those two colleagues, everybody else was male that I knew, mm. certainly. So, yeah, yeah to, to have to justify yourself. Yeah, that's it, interesting. It, it is difficult. But as you say, I think it was the mentors that I had that reassured me that actually, no, mm. keep going back. Mm. Keep, you know, keep that confidence. But, yeah, when, when, when that happened, looking back, I didn't have the same conviction and, and character that I've got now. Mm. I changed the way I dressed, for example. Interesting. I thought I, I've always been quite feminine mm. in the way I express my fashion and I'm really into fashion. And I thought, OK, so they're all saying what you're selling. Mm. You, you can't possibly be an editorial. You can't possibly ride a bike. You can't possibly know what you're talking about. And I looked around me and I thought, OK, people are in jeans, trainers and mountain bike T-shirts at the time. Yeah. OK, I'm going to have to dress like that. <laughs> and I'm not going to wear any makeup and I'll scrape my hair back. And that's how mm. I dealt with it at first. Yeah, and I wish I could go back and speak to that person now at 21 or whatever I was and say, you don't need to, you don't need to do that. It's not because, you, you know, you've put a skirt on uh, that mm. people aren't taking you yeah. seriously. It's a broader problem that you are pushing to change. But at the time, mm. you just want to retract and yeah, of course. dress less feminine. And yeah, and I, and I think that that's the one negative that really stands out mm. is I had people joking with me, oh, we'll get you on a bike next, wouldn't that be funny? And I was just stood in disbelief, um, having to, you know, explain something that my male colleagues didn't. I had yeah. to say, actually, I've been on a race bike since seven years old. Yeah. I've been on a race bike probably longer than you, so, yeah, let's talk, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about that, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that really sums it up, is, is the fact that I spent a lot of years explaining and justifying and arguing mm. that I was a bike rider. Mm. Um, which is just so different now. Well, I suppose, you know, you, you say you wish you could go back and sort of speak to that person, but I suppose it's great that you can, you have a platform now to be able to kind of speak to that person coming up, um, you know, to, to say, look, you know, I, I did that. There's some things that I would do again, there's some things that I wouldn't do again, um, but kind of stick true to your guns. Massively, yeah. I do feel really, really fortunate. Um, and, and that's why I just like to speak as openly as I can um, mm. and, and tell people that actually if you work really, really hard and you do focus on, on you know, where you want to be, it is possible. And I know that's cliche, I know it sounds cheesy, but but it is true. You know, mm. I didn't just wander in one day and say, oh, I just oh, want to make it fun. in television. You know, mm. I, I've worked really, really hard behind the scenes mm. and that sort of culminates in, you know, a few, few things coming together at the same time. But I really want to keep pushing the message that, you know, young girls especially, they mm. can they can come into this industry and be respected yeah. and look a certain way they want and ride a bike and it's mm. not mutually exclusive. And, mm. yeah, I, I'm really fortunate that I get to mentor a lot of young people coming in and championing yeah, them as well. That's awesome. I think even just the fact that, you know, we started off this kind of podcast with the fact that you used to kind of race bikes as a kid before, you know, before Sir Bradley Wiggins, you know, before, you know, Covered one sports personality and all these things you were racing your bike as a kid which the reality is probably 75 80 percent of people who are in cycling now as in who consider it a hobby and a passion and maybe working in the industry didn't mm. um 
I think that's great. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think it, it makes me look back now and reflect on how fortunate I was that my mm. parents were really sporty and yeah. my my brother's a few years older than me and he, you know, he was pretty talented on a bike. Um, so I always had that character chase with him and I, you know, now I wish, you know, there'd been more girls around. Yeah. But... I think again when you're seven years old you don't you don't really notice that stuff or care so much. It's only when you get a bit older. But at the time I had my brother who was a lot quicker than me. Mm. Um and I'd always be chasing him. He was my benchmark. Mm. Um mm. so I think I was immensely lucky to have that family unit and, and not everybody gets introduced to it. And actually back then, if you didn't have a family into it, very few people discovered it. Yeah, it's very true. That's very true. Um, so you had this job at um, at Road Cycling UK. Um, so then, what happened from there? Where did the kind of where did the path lead? So I was there for a good couple of years, and that was brilliant. I worked with mm-hmm. um, I worked a lot also with Guy Andrews, who um, left Road Cycling UK to start Relay Magazine. Yeah, and he was a fantastic mentor, brilliant bike rider. Um, and so, yeah, I worked with him for a couple of years. And then after that, I went to cycling.tv. Um, so I don't know if anyone will have yeah. sort of followed that, remembered that. Um, but they were sort of um, covering a lot of bike races that you couldn't were, yeah. get anywhere else. Um, what so year I went was this? There. I don't want to give the age away too much, but uh, <laughs> it was a really long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, a scarily long time ago now, actually. Um but yeah, well, actually, I can tell you because when I started at Cycling.tv, um, they'd done a lot of race coverage, but they hadn't really had a lot of presenter-led stuff. They just had commentators. Yeah. So I came okay. on board as a presenter and um, went off to report on the Grand Depart of the Tour de France in London. So oh, it was that okay, long ago. Fine, fine. Wow, okay, gotcha. <laughs> and um, yeah, did a couple of years there. And that that was the first time I'd really, because I specialised in broadcasting and presenting at, at university. Um, but that was the first time I'd really paired that together with cycling. So that was the next thing, really. And um, then from there, I went to Cycling Weekly magazine. Okay. And so this was uh, this was just print journalism or kind of digital journalism, or, or was there... Uh sort of a presenting level involved as well. So at first, and that was actually a really difficult decision because at first um, that was just purely on the print side because they didn't, okay. they didn't, Cycling Weekly didn't do the online um, oh, okay, fine. TV stuff, uh, video stuff back then. Um, so, yeah, it was a really difficult decision because I absolutely loved presenting, hmm. but I saw, I really saw an opportunity and I think, that's something that I've kind of navigated throughout my career is really standing back and thinking, where where am I? Is this going towards where I want to ultimately be? And the I, I really, really wanted to go to the Cycling Weekly magazine um, publishing house um, okay. because they have a huge portfolio of, of cycling expert magazines. Mm. And it seemed like a really a really good opportunity and one that I I was wary I didn't want to let slip out of my hands so Mm. I moved out of the presenting back back onto the print side Mm. um, and worked on their various titles which was health and fitness at the time and uh, cycling active cycling weekly a little bit for MBR as well Mm. Um, so worked across that stuff and 
as I say, that was more print at the time, but then that morphed more into digital and, mm. and eventually presenting once the, the platform sort of evolved to, to the way everyone else is going. Yeah, amazing. Um, and so what next? So then <laughs> I... Well, in my last year there, I'd, I'd started doing quite a lot of presenting for British Eurosport. Yeah. And they and the guys at Cycling Week were just brilliant. Um, so what were you presenting? So I was doing a lot with um, Cyclevox, the production company mm-hmm. um, that produced the British um, National Roadway Series, the Crip yeah. Series, um, National Championships coverage. So they do, yeah, they really do... Um, the bulk of sort of domestic racing hmm. in the UK and that's um the broadcaster for that was Eurosport so I was kind of going off and um freelancing for them over the weekends and also Revolution the track series I was presenting oh, course, for yeah. Eurosport and that was that was mostly live so I started going back into that live TV world and, hmm. and it was just absolutely brilliant um and there were just more and more and more opportunities coming my way. Um, and I, I have to say, that, you know, the team at Cycling Week were just so supportive. And, and mm. But it just got to a point where it was it was laughable because I was kind of disappearing at the weekend to, and then, you know, everyone, it was quite visible where I was going and everyone was supporting that. And then I was sort of like, oh, TT Champs on a Thursday, is that is that cool? And I'm going to dis- disappear on Thursday. And then they were like, just you need to just go and embrace this this is your passion go and this is the times now Mm. and i'm really yeah again you know it's the right people at the right time isn't it and and those guys said to me this is your passion Mm. go you won't always have the opportunity ahead of you go and embrace Mm. it and that and that's what i did and that's when i left uh, that publishing company and and went fully into freelance telly wow so you were doing some stuff with cyclevox and when did that really start to kind of kick into, you know, a, 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 a career, you know, like a full-time, full-time career? I mean, this is obviously going hand in hand with cycling going through a real surgence in popularity and, um, you know, kind of people getting involved in it. Therefore, you know, the, the viewership would have been going up and the broadcast would have been going on wider channels. Yeah, I as much as I... I've always been a hard worker. I was very lucky um, at sure. the time of the popularity of cycling rising, the Olympic success, the coverage that came off the back of that. Um, I was in the right place at the right time and, and I'm really, really grateful for that because mm. it did, it just absolutely exploded. Um, and as you know, there was just more and more and more coverage that I was able to put myself forward for. So the real pivotal point was leaving the magazine because I was working hard on the mag, then working hard at the weekend mm. and not having much sleep in between, which is, mm. you know, a great time to have the opportunity to do that. Um, but once I'd left the magazines, it really was, right, I've got to make this work now uh yeah. this is full time it's mm. make or break um mm. and it just gave me that full fo- focus to pitch and and then mm. also um i signed with my agent emma wade who also represents uh, riders like lizzie dagnan um mm. elena barker mm. tiff cromwell so you know joining her agency was absolutely amazing for me mm. because it was just exactly where i wanted to be having a female representation was amazing mm. um and something in yeah, sport that hasn't always been the case again so i think yeah. for me a lot of things came together that at that time mm. and that that was really the point where it all kind of went ahead i mean you you say you were lucky I mean, I don't know. I, I find it difficult to kind of put put luck into it. I mean, of course, it was a perfect storm. 
but obviously you've got a a legitimate track record it wasn't like oh i'll just hop on the cycling train like cycling's been in your blood since a kid and i would kind of say to listeners out there it's because of that hard work and sort of dedication and kind of drive and it just led you to that point where thankfully a few other things happened at the same time that you were able to kind of capitalize on that um but i I, yeah i don't i don't know i I don't really buy into luck fortunate yeah 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 yeah. thank you thank you for saying that of course great of course grateful for it but um yeah i mean there's you know gratitude humility but i don't know i'm i I think i think uh luck is i think luck does a disservice to one's hard effort really thank you thank you and it's it is about being ready for the right opportunity when it comes as well isn't it and um there's been some huge opportunities that have come my way that have been mm. amazingly daunting. Mm. And you kind of sit in that chair, you know you're about to you're five seconds to go live. Mm. And I do find myself thinking, yeah, there's a lot of pressure here. I wanted this opportunity when I was 20 years old, but was I yeah. ready for it? No, I wasn't. I, no. you know, probably would have been you know quite out of my depth at the point where I thought I wouldn't have been um but Mm. then you you prepare you work hard and you graft and actually when that opportunity comes around you take a deep breath and you're totally ready for it so yeah I think that is a huge part of it all right so we're seeing the kind of cycling kind of really start to kind of boom and escalate um and so what what doors were kind of opening up for you? And I mean, what, did you have any involvement with the with the Olympics and that side of things, or, or was it more mainly domestic stuff? So at first it was mainly well for a lot of it it's been domestic actually, mm. um, and it's interesting because like I mentioned earlier the reference to oh it must be like the Tour de France. I think again a lot of people say to me oh you, of course you must be doing the Olympics because mm. that's the most prominent thing that everybody watches. Um, and I'd absolutely love to be doing the Olympics, but you know, there's a, a small pool of broadcasters of that, course, yeah, and, yeah. and photographers and, and staff that, that are fortunate enough um, mm. and athletes fortunate enough to, to be mm. selected. You know, obviously, it's a it's a big fight to get there. Um, I mean, so, I, I, I reference the Olympics because you know the cafes in Asia. So, like, you know, I've been cycling for oh, I don't know. Not as long as you. I've been cycling for about 15, 16 years. And I remember... Ah, it's not long. The, I remember the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I remember Joking. the year before the Olympics, they had that test event. And I remember yeah. looking at the high street packed, watching this race come through, going, hang on a minute. This is not This is about to take off, isn't it? Yeah. And then so obviously the Olympics was that kind of, you know, huge oh, combination of, of, of public interest. And I think I'd probably say cycling's of all the Olympic sport has got the most significant and lasting legacy uh, where people are involved in it. And then they're not just doing it because they like it. They love it. And they go to all the events. They watch everything on TV. Absolutely. It's, it's incredible to see, isn't it? And um, yeah, so I was waffling towards that one, but the, yeah, the Olympics, I've, I've never actually worked on the Olympic games, Mm. but what happens, as you mentioned there, is the huge buzz around it. So um, for the last two Olympics, for example, the BBC have had me on um, to to update people actually throughout the Tour de France as well. So Mm. even though I've not always been out at the Tour or at the Olympics um, on the ground, I've I've usually been back in London in the BBC studio, for example. So what I love about that is, is if you're not necessarily on that host broadcast, the sport's big enough that the fans want 
to consume more and more and more around it. So you will they want, get... They want the goss. Exactly. So they will get someone like me to mm. say, well, what do you think actually happened in, mm. in this race? Um, so there's always something going on. And, and again, that just brings more opportunity. Mm. Yeah, very cool. Um, so, yeah, so talk us through some of the TV stuff that you were doing and then how that got into some of the live stuff. I mean, that's got to be a real buzz, doing some live live TV. What was your first experience of that? I love it so much. Um, I think I've... I think I sometimes sort of forget how early on I was doing live stuff. Okay. Um, I've done it for quite a long time, but some of the stuff I've done recently has sort of felt like... has felt quite different, you know? Yeah, it's cool. not felt like sort of one-off bulletin here and there. Um, so for me, um, presenting the live coverage of six day for BBC mm. iPlayer was amazing yeah. mm. um, or red red button um, mm. because you really feel that live mm. environment because yeah. often you're you, you're in a studio somewhere away from the race itself or you're in a little box you know looking at a monitor when you're commentating yeah there's all these different environments that we hear about mm. don't we um, but being slap bang in the middle of the London Velodrome with mm. everything and all the fans around you and all the Lights, riders riding DJs, past and then, you yeah, know, yeah. exactly the resident mm. DJs, at mm. Martin Chief's move, absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, I think that's when it feels next level because you're mm. really absorbing that buzz the whole time. Um, and also you're thinking the whole time, right, going back on air in two seconds, mm. but, you know, I've just talk to this rider quickly to prep them on what's going to happen and there's you know there there is so much more going on in a live environment um mm. and i love it it's it's by far the thing i enjoy the most um i think as a journalist i love a deadline i love pressure and i yeah. love knowing this is this is you know there's a cutoff this is mm. the only opportunity you've got to get this right and i think some people love it and hate it or hate yeah. it and i absolutely love it relishing it i mean this the, the the six days from a like a consumer standpoint is just one of the best because you've got obviously if you're there you've got that live energy you've got you know the kind of the the host giving it and even if you're you know at home certainly you know watching it you're feeding off that energy you're then translating that to the audience at home and it's just it's just excellent and it's around a sport that we love you know it's it's far from boring it's so exciting it's and, so and good. six days been going on for generations um so there's that heritage side of it as well which is just so cool it really is and again for me just because i have been around the sport for a long time my dad was a huge fan of the gent six and i'd been out there and mm. to then oh, wow. come cool. and see that you know, when it was reintroduced to, to london um mm. with the six day series was was just brilliant to see that mm. coming back and new fans and, and a lot of young people that didn't know that heritage coming mm. in and experiencing it mm. So that was that was a huge that was a huge one um, to sort of start doing. That was amazing. Um, and and another um, yeah really big one for me was starting to present the ITV4 coverage of the women's tour. Okay, um, cool. So when did that start to get um, get broadcast then? So that's been that's been going actually quite a few years now. Okay. Um, and I started hosting that. Um, well, I've I've done the last two years of that. So. That was absolutely brilliant. And again, that was a pivotal point when, when the broadcast started for that and before I was working on it, mm. to be able to switch you know, mainstream TV on at seven, eight o'clock at night 
every night consistently yeah. and see yeah. women's bike racing. Um, yeah. You know, I was a huge fan of that that yeah. coverage, and then to be able to actually then again translate back to the audience and and work on it myself, that was yeah, it was a really big deal. And I think for the sport in general, as I say, you know, we I mean, kind of leads on nicely. You know, like it is it is a hugely male dominated sport, and whilst it's not perfect by any means it's great that and i'd love to get your kind of take on it as well but it that i remember that being a real watershed moment where they were offering coverage and since then it's improved and you're seeing a lot of live um um things as well and the reason why that excites me is it because it it normalizes it for a lot of people that maybe thought it would have been not accessible to them and then so the next step is well how can we turn that interest into participation and how can we turn that interest into um you know people making it a part of their day-to-day and you know who knows a younger generation coming up to kind of maybe get into racing and forge careers out of it whether it be riding bikes or in journalism like yourself um that's got to be quite exciting to to feel a part of that and to feel in the middle of that and because you've been involved in the sport for so long i'd love to kind of get your take on how it's been from your standpoint as a female in the industry to kind of watch that transition going where you feel the industry is now and what you think can what you think is being done what you think can be done moving forward yeah i think i think on the whole i tend to see things in quite a positive light because when i started racing i didn't know a single other girl and um i desperately wanted more girls to race with and then from that point when I started working on the Revolution track coverage for Eurosport, we were then seeing the Future Stars competition and the girls yeah. being way oversubscribed and and the competition being so high and some of those mm. riders jumping straight into the elite race if they needed a substitute. Like, someone crashed, right, we've got a young rider ready to keep up with the elite, you know, field. And mm. for me, you know, seeing that contrast was like, wow, you know, there's there's so many young girls in this country that yeah. are ready for this, that are, are good enough to race this. Yeah, getting and, results too. And exactly, and just mm. absolutely thriving in the sport. Um, and things like that, you just stand back and say, wow, like mm. the the extent this has changed. So I'm often really, really positive, but that's not to say there isn't a lot that we still need to do. And mm. I think collectively we're all pushing, but something I feel really strongly about I mean firstly to touch upon the the women's tour I mean every rider every journalist everybody that works on that race says the same thing it's Mm. it's just been a game changer it's absolutely absolutely fantastic in every aspect Um, and I would have said that before I worked on the coverage you know it's Mm. um it's a brilliant race to be on it's second to none in organization and having that visibility is fantastic and then of course a couple of years back they announced equal prize money with with the mm. men's equivalent and you mm. know things like this are so so important to mm. to push forward change because people can parrot the same things oh yeah but that's not possible and this can't happen until this happens but then you take someone like the women's tour that says no we're, we're going to do this we're yeah. you know we're prepared to do this and see it through and then it has a ripple effect and yeah. and it's really really crucial but something that i often talk about and i think is really important is that we are listening to riders that we are listening to pro female riders and, mm. and ex-pros who really can give a perspective on what it's like because again like I can be vocal and I'm fortunate to use my voice um, where I possibly can but I'm not in that peloton yeah. I'm not finding a race logistically very very difficult 
because mm. it's been squeezed in next to a men's race at the same day where everyone thinks that's going to work but actually maybe it doesn't and maybe that doesn't work but maybe it would work with a different classic or mm. you know and I think we can speculate a lot mm. but when you speak to the riders they say actually everyone sort of has a perception it didn't work because of this but actually this is how it could have worked and yeah. that's why the cyclist alliance um is absolutely fantastic so if anyone hasn't come across that before um check out the cyclist alliance and it's um really really pushed forward over the last couple of seasons um in you know looking at things like minimum wage maternity leave um mm. riders getting treated fairly and mm. it's it, yeah again they've been absolutely tremendous in pushing the sport forward so the one thing I often do refer back to when I get asked this question is, is it's so important to speak to riders because we can't yeah. always speak on their behalf. Yeah. It's, I, I remember the first time I, I really kind of, you know, because in the, you know, obviously in the UK, we've seen, you know, the kind of the, the growth of cycling and, and, and from that, you know, visibility standpoint, it's been increasing in both men's and women's. But in 2018, I went out to the Tour Down Under in, in Australia just a brilliant week and on uh, one of the evenings um, we got speaking to this uh, lady who was a soigneur in one of the teams uh, it was that it was after it all finished it was a rap party and you know we were just very excited about being there in the tour and and it was interesting because oh, I can't really share that same excitement and I was like I, I don't understand mm. and we were in the Hilton uh, bar in, in Adelaide and that's where all the pro teams stay I'll repeat, that's for all the male pro teams stay. Mm. And she was saying, yeah, you know, there's just not as much funding behind the the, the women's tour. And our team's actually shacked up in a, in like a school hall on bunks. And it was like, wait, what? It, I couldn't, I couldn't wrestle my head around that. And, and, you know, the, I don't know if the UK is, is kind of pioneering, but it really made clear that the funding behind the women's world tour team i mean maybe things have changed i mean this was only two years ago but i i was shocked by what was actually going on behind the scenes and how much mm. how little funding and support there was and also just kind of reinforced actually for the you know women riding in this this is a passion sport you're not doing mm. this for the paycheck this is an absolute passion and of course, you know, I'm sure the opportunities are arising, but it seemed as though for the vast majority of those uh, women, in not only as members of the racing team, but also the support staff around, it was vastly inadequate. And it was like, hang on, this, this conversation needs to be had more. Because if my reaction is like this, I know that 95% of people also heard this would be like, what? You know, something has to change. It's a sport that we love. Um, you know, obviously you're quite close with a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, well, male and female riders is this is this a conversation that that you've you know encountered before yeah i think you hit the nail on the head with the passion you know mm. every female uh, well again the majority of the female pro peloton will say quite openly we've got to love this yeah. you know otherwise we wouldn't be doing it we're yeah. you know we're we're not uh, as you say just cashing in checks here um and i think i think we're starting to get a lot more transparency I think mm. people are shocked to hear the reality because there is this perception um, that the pro riders are all getting the same sort of financial deal. And, and as you've just said, it, it can be very, very different. Um, well, I mean, we see them on TV, so they must mm. be loaded. <laughs> yeah, and there is. And I think there really still is that perception. Yeah. 
Um, but my friend and colleague Ola Shenoui has been writing mm. for Roulette um, very candidly and speaking to some incredible athletes who who've spoken out about mistreatment on teams yeah, and wow. a lot of other issues, um, along with you know organisations like the Riders um, Cyclists Alliance. Mm. And people are starting to talk about these things, and yeah, there are good. pivotal people um, like all are willing to to put her name to these pieces, to speak to writers that are comfortable with sharing their, you know, their difficulties. And it's so important because people are so shocked, quite rightly. Mm. And mm. the more that we have that transparency, the more we can start seeing things change. But you know, I've bundled a, a lot of different things into into one conversation there. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, there's some you know very different things we're talking about there. But um, I think on the whole, transparency is is really really important for moving forward. And writers are. Everyone's got social media now. Everybody is interacting mm. more than we ever have before, um, mm. especially at a time like this. And you are seeing behind the scenes more, and you are seeing people's day-to-day lifestyle struggles. What mm. you know, what what it takes. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important we're talking about it more. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's good to kind of you know reference the pro peloton because you know it. Whether we like it or not, it it definitely filters down. You know, kind of, and and that's not just product and brands but that's also um you know just the culture and I, there definitely is change at hand but it is um it is good to kind of discuss the fact that it's not you know perfect mm. um but yeah I, i'm i'm like you i always try and put a positive you know kind of viewpoint and see the opportunity and the optimism uh, in and around it and i you know i i believe that the that upper echelon of cycling is starting to listen to the consumers and I think that, you know, following our podcast that we have with our sort of, you know, women's team, just understanding their journeys into cycling, some of the barriers they had to overcome, even things around like, you know, kit. Actually, we need to, we, anybody in the industry at all levels, all need to play our part to make sure that not only we're listening, but we are making the right changes to make the sport accessible and available to everybody. Um, and yes, yeah, I think that's something that I think we all need to be playing our part in. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and obviously we focused a lot on the elite end, the professional end of the of the peloton there um, initially. But that's something I feel hugely, mm. uh, strongly about is inclusivity. And mm. I have ridden with various sort of club runs over the years, where some have been absolutely brilliant. Others I've seen a female turn up on their own, very nervous. They've mm. been reassured they're not going to get dropped. They get dropped, yeah, they get left, and I've yeah. gone back, and I've been mm. the person to go back, and I'm not a member of that club. I've just been mm. guesting, or because I've kind of hopped between a lot of clubs when I've done coverage mm. for various things, and you know, as I say, a lot have been absolutely brilliant, but some of the time, people just aren't being aware. They're sat on mm. the front, winding it up, winding it up, mm. letting some poor person go off the back, and if that mm. is um, a female that has been very daunted about coming into that environment and the first mm. thing that, that happens is they're just left and people don't mm. regroup despite saying they're going to regroup and I think yeah. again it's transparency if you know yeah. I'll look and there's some some of the websites of the um, clubs in London are just fantastic because I'll go on and I'll have a look at oh a Saturday ride that goes out okay they're going to average this okay I'm not going to touch that no. <laughs> I'm yeah, not going to exactly. keep up with that yeah, yeah. and that's absolutely fine that mm. is not to say that everybody's got to always ride mm. together um, but 
be honest because mm. it's it's you know the the clubs that I have had a little bit of a moan at are the ones that have said it's a no drop ride it's mm. inclusive all welcome it will be very very slow I mean what's slow to someone mm. that's never come on a club ride before mm. Mm. you know um I think you've got to be honest where you can as you alluded to before and say yeah this is the expectation this is what we're going to do to try and cater if it is a ride for brand new people that are gonna come out with you make it make it like that yeah, be 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 realistic about it. Do you feel a um, you know, you're in a prominent position, you're in a very visible position. Do you feel um, a level of responsibility to speak up? Yeah, I do, I do. And um, but I do pick and choose because I I'll only really pipe up when it's really important to me, and yeah. then I really will. <laughs> yeah, of course, um, but yeah. I'm not somebody that will just see something and just jump on it all the time. But I do mm. when I feel strongly about it. I really will be vocal. Um, and as you say, I think it's really, really important because I just, I know what it's like to be doing all right mm. at cycling. I know what it's like to be off the bat wanting to cry and quit the sport and find yeah. a skip and throw your bike in it. Um, yeah. So I feel like because I've kind of spanned that, you know, I am well placed to understand what it's like when you do feel like that person that's not getting mm. any encouragement. Um, mm. So that probably is is a big driving force for why I'm very empathetic with people that are struggling. Mm. Um, but equally, yeah, I think it's important because if I knew that people were coming out for their first ride and never returning to the sport and getting rid of their bike, I'd be mm. mortified. So yeah. I think it's important. And I do it in the right way, but I will feedback where possible because, as I say, sometimes people just don't realise. They really don't realise yeah. that someone's gone away upset. They mm. might think, oh, well, they might have enjoyed a smash fest and just turned around and ridden back. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't maybe get it if they haven't been in that position. I mean, that is certainly something i feel really you know you know quite passionate about um and it's interesting you know like since kind of doing some of these podcasts and a few of the different people that we've spoken to there's been a couple of points where it's really kind of uh, it's been good to hold up a mirror at what we do in, in the cafe and there's things that we think we're doing really well but actually for me like the the like the, the thing that almost keeps you up at night is the thought that somebody that kind of wants to get involved and they slip through the nets and mm. i just and maybe they don't ever get back on a bike again. And, you know, for the most part, I think we do, you know, pretty well um, because yeah. that's that's our passion. But, you know, I, there have been times where, I ha- where it hasn't worked and it's like, I just go, no, this isn't good enough. Like, you know, for that individual, that's not good enough. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I think that as an industry, no matter what level, we all need to be playing our part to make sure there's that inclusivity. And if you can't cater for it, then help point that person to the right direction where someone else can cater for it and play our part because we want to keep this business sustainable. We want to keep it healthy. We want to keep more people involved and more people active with it. Um, Otherwise, you know, what's the point? We do. And I think... um... I think that's another big change is that there is generally somewhere that you can point people to. Mm, mm. Um, whereas in the past, it you know, again, racing, you'd just be bundled in with any, you know, when, when there were more women, you'd be in with, you know, fourth cat women up to elite women in the same race. I, I think that still happens a lot, but probably less so, mm. I hope. Um, and... Yeah, I think there wasn't any option. Um, whereas mm. now I think there there are so many initiatives where you could say, actually, maybe a breeze ride mm. would be absolutely perfect for you. Mm. Or actually, you're really, really strong. You should go and look on the BC Club Finder and, and yeah. progress, or you should go and enter your first race. So yeah, I think 
I think, again, there's a lot more avenues now and, and a lot of gaps that have been filled. Obviously, you know, as you say, we, we've got to keep looking at how we do that, how we keep pushing forward. But I think, mm. yeah, again, it's a lot better. Yeah, very much so. I'd love to kind of hear about some of the things that you've got coming up, but just to kind of maybe finish off that, that one point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. 2021, yeah. Um, but just to kind of... You know, are you feeling, are you, I mean, you say you're an optimistic person, but are you feeling excited about the future of cycling in the UK? And I'm, and I'm, it's, it's great because I don't often get to ask that question to somebody who's been involved in cycling for so long. And I'd love to kind of get your, get your thoughts about it. Um, this is just a, a question I've asked a few people recently. Yeah, no, I do. I do. Um, obviously it's a difficult, well, difficult, challenging time at the moment. Hmm. That's the first thing to say. There's a lot of uncertainty, mm. but being the optimist, I think there. In what, what, in what way do you think there's uncertainty? In in terms of uh, of what's sort of facing us in terms of rescheduling the professional calendar mm-hmm. due to COVID nineteen, mm. um, and I've seen you know I've seen a lot of people discussing um, new proposed dates for the Tour de France, for example, mm. saying, "Well, okay, we can propose dates, but we don't." really know when we don't know what's around the we corner can yeah. travel when we mm. can see a lockdown mm. ending there's a lot going on in the bigger picture of course and mm. that everyone's tremendously concerned about so i think when i say uncertainty i mean the the immediate effects of the mm. pandemic um mm. but i think there's a lot of resourceful people in the bike industry mm. i think that there's going to be yeah you know, I, I think and hope that there's going to be thriving activity Mm. on the other end of this um mm. and i think it's changing perspectives i think a lot of people are having time for the first time to reflect mm. to think what they could do differently what they could do better um mm. when when we're out of lockdown so i, th- mm. I think it will be an interesting time actually for the sport at the end of this i think it's yeah I, i'd agree with that i think it certainly um made people look at things a different way and those who are willing to think a little bit differently are taking action um and you know even you know kind of referencing the 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 corona side of things one of the biggest successes of this all has been zwift and <laughs> and i'm not i'm not saying that from like a zwift kind of um uh, like commercial standpoint i'm sure they're doing you know very well from it but as far as involvement in cycling, I think it's great. And as far as female involvement in cycling, I think it's really great. I personally know a lot more people that have signed up to it and are riding more than they ever have done, as in females are riding more than they ever have done, because they can't go outside or there's maybe this isn't going on and they're getting on Zwift and they can do it with their friends. It's just ticking so many boxes. And I love that. And I'm excited. And again, it comes back to that responsibility. Like when, from my standpoint, when we get to open up the coffee shop again, I really hope that we're kind of on the money to make sure that we can support those people that want to transition from <laughs> the virtual road of, 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 yeah. of Zwift to, to, you know, have a place to come and meet their friends and, and go for a ride out in the out in the real world with fresh air. Definitely. I, um, as you know, I'm completely obsessed with Zwift. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I've um, presented and commentated for Zwift for about 18 months now yeah. um, on the on the sort of, 
you know, classics, racing and everything. Mm. Um, and then I, in the last few weeks, I've got it set up in my living room. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm lit. I'm literally on it every day. <laughs> every day. Every, you know, I, I haven't taken that step yet. Um, oh, you'll, you'll be hooked. But everybody who said as soon as they're on it, they're on it. Like they're really on it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a big, big fan of Swift. I think they've... I think that as right now it's ticking so many boxes and it's keeping people kind of connected on the bike, which is just, you know, wonderful. Love it that. is connected, happy, positive. Um, and to touch on the point you mentioned about female female participation, um, mm. for anyone that doesn't ride Zwift, you can set uh, a no drop policy, yeah, which is more simple than when you're actually trying to do that on the road because it, it literally sort of tethers you together. Um, so if somebody get, tries to go for a flyer, they almost just sort of get yeah. sucked yeah. back yeah. towards the, the rider that's struggling a bit more. Um, of course, you don't have to set it to that. But I think there's a lot of, in particular, women that I know who mm. would have been too nervous to yeah. normally go out on a, yeah. a club ride or a chain gang. Yeah. They're now doing that on Zwift. Mm. And it's nothing but positive. And that is, it is. I mean, it is, it, in one, in, you know, in one standpoint, it, it's, I think it's quite damning of the industry. Um, but at least there is a solution. And at least there's something that can hopefully facilitate a real exciting change moving forward. Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just totally hooked, totally hooked. I don't know if I'm ever going to ride outdoors ever again, Excellent. you know. Excellent. Oh, no, don't say that. Come on, don't say that, please. <laughs> no, I will. I'll be straight over for coffee as soon as we're out. <laughs> Excellent. Um, all right, so one final question. What's the, what's the goal? What's the dream? What's the, where would you love to be uh, in, in, in your role in, in cycling? I think just looking broadly, I... I absolutely love live broadcasting. So mm. for me, it, the, the pinnacle is just more live telly, more yeah. of that kind of buzz. Mm. Um, and not not necessarily just cycling. Um, mm. I love interacting with people. I love interviewing, which is interesting because actually I don't often switch it this way around. Yeah, so this well, has that's been kind really of one of the reasons why I wanted to <laughs> do this, to kind of stick you on so the other different. side. Because yeah. I'm always in the driving seat and I yeah. can always navigate where it's going. So, yeah, it's really, really different to be, be in the other, other chair. But, um, yeah, for me, more, more live, um, more of that pressure. Love it. Very cool. Um, well, look, Rebecca, thank you. It's been really great to speak to you. you. I think this is a really interesting listen. And as far as the work you're doing, just keep up the good work. It's great. I think you're a really positive voice in the industry as well. Uh, not only for the the, the, the the female side of the industry, but just for the industry in, in general. So it's been lovely to speak to you. And I look forward to that coffee and ride in the real world. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, thank you soon. so much. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, mate. Okay.